right, you guys, we are kicking off this episode today with some fresh and full cups of Breve mm. lattes. Short Breve short for Breve latte. And Breve means a lot more to us. Oh no. Cullen's stole the you could over, <laughs> sneak over and just run over, sneak over and take care of it. Uh, you guys, so if you've ever trained around us, you've been around the gym, then maybe you've caught wind of the Breve lore. So uh, the Breve culture is something that has existed with us really since the get-go. It There's some stories that come from it, but really it's a representation of sort of our culture and how, how we interact, how we prefer to train, and it has some really cool story behind it that can help you you know, develop a training mindset or understand our training mindsets a little bit better too. So we're going to tell that story today and then we're also going to talk a little bit about travel because travel comes close, closely with training, parkour and the way that we train and the way we improved. Um, and the way, and if you've ever traveled before, you know you can grow so much from traveling other than we talked about video being a great hack for sort of, in, you know, increasing the velocity of, of how fast you learn and sort of skip leveling. Um, travel is is I would say more powerful than that even, right? Would you say? It can be. It can be. Sure. Yeah. I mean, if you do it right, if it's impactful enough, it it creates some opportunity there for sure. Yeah. I mean, it can also just be like a great waste of your time if you're not doing it right. But but and it's always can, fun. It's always fun. If you travel and then you don't, and then you just do the same thing you did before you left, then yeah. Yes. <laughs> you go somewhere else just to watch. Oh Netflix. yeah. You know. I I feel like the whole purpose for traveling and and parkour is that you're you're trying to stretch your wings a little bit so to speak right so you're out there with new people who train differently who have a different like training mindset than you mm -hmm. and are probably better at some things than you are and mm. your whole goal should be to go out there and be like kind of like when you came out to Colorado when you first moved out here yeah you're like who's good at what and wh how can I jump in on that right mm -hmm. like that's what you should be doing if you travel for parkour is like who's good at what oh I know these guys are like like uh back in the day like uh Dylan, Brandon, and Knox mm -hmm. were like well known, well like very renowned for swinging, right? Like for their bar skills. And so like if I went down to Boulder and I was training with them, I was like, I want to do swings with these guys because mm -hmm. like that's what these guys are really, really good at, and this is something that I'm not super good at. And also, they were big into travel. I mean, they were what. Yeah. Uh, what happened, highly underrated, what just recently released on YouTube, it was only like a year or two ago that Brandon, this is well after they'd, they'd uh, you know, it shot the, it. Is it the Helms Deeper? Did it finally come out? Because I haven't, I, um, um, this, is a, this is a shout out now, uh, Brandon, Dylan, Dante, if, or Knox, if one of you guys are watching this, I'm still waiting for that Helms Deeper video. Oh, Dante's always watching, <laughs> like he's always watching us. I feel like Dante, I feel like Dante might, might be somewhat of like a spirit guide for us because anytime like I'm pushing content out, he'll like chime in and be like, what's up guys? Or when we do something, he travels up here. Like all the comps we did. That's true. I think we under-recognize Dante in, in our culture because he like, anytime we've had a comp, he's been here, he's been training, he's participated, he's oftentimes won. <laughs> and then been like, oh, that was a great experience. And it just made me feel like, okay, cool. we're you know, we're, we're doing the right thing, right? Ross, Ross has also been the same way, Ross. Ross, yeah. And like, uh, they were actually just down, right? They you were just, just training with them, yep. Yeah. What? Yeah. yeah. When? I know, he it didn't, was just, I think it was on Monday. What do you mean, like two days <laughs> It was on Monday they came <laughs> yeah. down, and he didn't even message and, me. And I mean, so it was true. my anniversary. No, totally right. He's like the spirit, he's up here, he's like, man, you guys, we know you guys got your stuff together, dude. You guys just do so much for us all. And, uh, and and we were talking about comps too, and he was just like, "Oh yes, the great destroyer of athletes." That's what he called comps. <laughs> and I immediately knew what he meant. Like I've gotten hurt in a comp. I remember I got hurt uh, in uh, my first or my second like uh, trip to APC, like doing like a dive, a dive roll, and I didn't even get to do my event. So I'm like, yes. They the yeah, great destroyer okay. is like <laughs> great destroyer. Dude, you can wreck you. Man. Yeah, the number of times I've been at a comp where I'm like, "Hey, you running?" And they're like, "Yeah." And then an hour later, post warm ups, they're not running because mm -hmm. like during warm ups, they were like, oh, "I think this," you know, they're trying some route or whatever, and then they end up like rolling an ankle, clipping a hip, or something like that. And then you know, it's like it when the comp is right there. There's only so much adrenaline can push you through, and it with the way that parkour is right now, and that like nobody's getting really paid for these comps 
Like, right, no, no, not comparatively. Nobody's like, nobody's no. like, no, man, I like, I like, kind of broke my ankle, but I'm still gonna run this comp anyways. Like, mm-hmm. like football players can do that because they have like a seventy million dollar contract, you know? Right. And they can be like, you know what? I'm gonna play anyways, <laughs> yeah. right? And like the PT yeah, is like, hitting, I can't hitting. really stop you because you're six foot four and three hundred pounds. But I wouldn't recommend it. But like for parkour athletes, like guys, that's not worth it. Like if you get hurt warm ups, you could just call it. Yeah, okay. I'm pretty it's sure right. that, Come back the, next year. that the PT is in the back and they're like, What's the ROI on this guy? Give him the medicine. <laughs> oh dude, yeah, like, and they're definitely just like You're like, How's your knee feel? Great. Well it might fall off tomorrow, but you're playing today. <laughs> but you still got two hours worth of game to right, go. Right, so. right, exactly. The uh, that's so true. I mean the great yeah. destroyer. The great destroyer. <laughs> we said that he said that too when we because it was just when we had done the comp uh, that was local here. He had come out of Red Bull Art of Motion, and I was like, "Oh man, it was so frustrating." So like one of my first we put this this comp on, um, what two or three three years ago, four years ago even maybe now, and out of like the qualifier. I like slip off the box and like oh. sh- and like roundhouse kick this like rail, oh, I and then I had that like knot, <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm still competing the next day, so I just like compressed it and then laid back on the wall to get the fluid out of my knee to come up my leg, and then and then ran the comp and and did well. I was proud of myself, but then five days later I'm in urgent care and the nurse who just is like some sort of like she just wanted to like do surgery and experiment she's like well if I cut it out it'll heal faster and I'm just like okay and then she's just like and they're scooping out the dry blood I remember looking at that thing. It's it disgusting. Was, that was yeah, disgusting. It, yeah. it was definitely like, like scar. people say, like, oh, dissected that people thing, are dude. like, oh, yeah, so like, he, he hit his thing, and he, yeah, he had this, like, welt on there that was, like, the size of a baseball, and normally, you know, that's, that's like, a, you know, a metaphor. Yeah. It's not actually the size of a baseball. Yours was legitimately, like, a lacrosse ball, the half yeah. a lacrosse ball coming out of your shin. Yeah. It was disgusting, and I definitely kind of wish I was there when she sliced it open. I have video like, of it. Oh. Or well, now, pictures. That I, now, now that you say it, I don't know if I'm actually see want to. I'll send the pictures. I just like too. the idea of seeing it. I'll send the pictures over. That's in my phone somewhere. Dude, that was gross. But Dante said the same thing. Yeah, he <laughs> was just he's he's like why I was like I was like why did I do that? And he's like because you're a buster. Buster. <laughs> 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 and it's just like he's like man, sometimes you're just busters. I know he was coming off that Red Bull uh, art of motion, <laughs> right yeah. in. Uh, uh, Santini, right? Santorini. Santorini, yeah. right? And and so he was sort of empathizing with me. I just thought it was so timely. <laughs> I loved it. I love because he I didn't do give remember me, that term too. Yeah. He didn't give me legal peace. We were talking about it, and I felt like I was dwelling on it a bit. And then he had obviously just come out of this experience that was, you know, way he working his life up to that to that event and doing training there. And I don't know if he was happy with his performance or not, but he he you could just he was just such a sobering like, yeah, dude. Buster, dude, I, I think <laughs> I think that I think that right there though is like that's some breve culture right mm-hmm. there. Is like sometimes you need to just know like you don't messed up, mm-hmm. you're a Buster, and you mm-hmm. need to just be like, you know what, <laughs> I goofed on that one. Yeah. And you know what I mean? Because you hear that a lot sometimes. Is is athletes will train and they'll do something, like whether it's filming a line or competing or just. Mm-hmm training on their own mm-hmm. and they'll be like oh I, well yeah no, I know I think it could have done that or this angle is a little hard or this surface is slick right mm-hmm. when like brevet culture is like you just own it kind of I sucked it. at that yeah and that's okay that is okay I that, that you know what I don't get these strides every time I you know my my climb up was mm-hmm. butt because I was weak mm-hmm. own it right like that's so that's I think part legit. of one of what, what makes our a cult, our culture um, interesting to some degrees we all a lot of times we get the, uh, I've been thinking about this a lot, like, of course I've been thinking about it a lot. Um, the people will say, oh, your gym, it, it has a style slant. Like, people kind of see us as, oftentimes we've developed a reputation of being more into, like, the aesthetic side of things. Like we've, had some, we've had people come through, yeah, your trick and through running, <laughs> right? And the, um, and the, or more, st- more of a style slant. We were some of the first people to have, like, the spring floor and stuff like that um, with the air track. Well, really of, of an actual that. parkour yeah. gym, you're right. Of like hybrid gyms, um, yeah. hybrid gyms have had spring floors, but yeah, but to be like a a branded parkour gym to yeah. have a spring floor, yeah, we were definitely one of the early. Which ones. is also unique about us too is is we only 
operate through the um, lens of parkour. Like all our gym, like the Outrun gym is all, it's all parkour. There's no a la carte. There are uh, complementary disciplines that, that come in here, but if you come and you look at our programs, it's, it's no buffet, right? Yeah, it's, it, no buffet. it's no buffet. It's no movement buffet. But, and, and I don't think that that is because we don't, you know, like or any of these other disciplines. We're just so focused on creating the, the culture, again, mm-hmm. creating that wonderful creme Sweet de la creme, right? Cream. How's my pronunciation on that? Yeah, that's fine. Creme de la creme? <laughs> okay. Yeah, we're going for just like that creme de la creme. And it's not the egotistical best of the best. It's just, I think it has, I think that what people see when they come in sometimes, they're like, oh, this is a really nice gym. There's paint. I kind of want to jump on stuff because, I don't know, that looks like a really clean, you know, facade or something. I don't want to break it. I've heard that before too. It's just, it's finesse, you know? I think that's really what it is. It's finesse. It's not necessarily style because we still spend, the vast majority of our time is spent on like a more traditional approach to parkour in that there isn't, we're not flipping off of everything necessarily. There's not as much of a, like 80% of what we do is probably just jumping and swinging, right? Mm -hmm. It's not that we're, we're focused on a lot of like style hype, it's finesse. I think then that's what, to me, is at the center of, of brevet culture is like not taking yourself too seriously, but taking what you do very seriously. Yes. It's, it's like you won't, well, I don't know about YouTube. Um, you might see me, but you won't often see me cracking open the fridge to just chug some sweet half and half. Um, for those of you that don't know, brevet is half and half right. in, in like the cafe terms. Um, but you won't see me like cracking up a carton of half and half and just like taking a sweet chug of that, okay? But you will see me very often having it in my coffee after it's been steamed. Mm. It's still half and half. It's still got all the goodness that it's half refined. and half has. It's just refined. Refined? Right? Mm. The way that it's presented Temper. is not in its raw form. Right. It, I haven't changed what the brevet is. Right. And I'm not asking anybody to change who they believe they are in parkour. Right. But when you're ready to like present, you got to refine that a little bit, right? And you should have some pride in that too. Like if somebody if you went to a coffee shop and you're like, "Yo, can I get a brevet latte?" and they like straight up just like you watched him pour the half and half in there, stick the steam wand and then pop it and then just like slap some espresso in there and slide oh, it over, you'd, you'd be, be like offended. <laughs> What? What is this? Where's my quarter inch of foam? You didn't even mix the espresso. Everybody knows espresso, then milk goes on top. There's no ar- foam. no arboreal reference at the top of my phone. Yeah. Like you didn't. Do you, yeah, you didn't make any shapes. You didn't do nothing. You just kind of <laughs> slapped them together and then. At least give me up. like a goofy bear or something. Yeah. Some right? sort of animal. But nobody's like, oh, this latte will change your life. Nobody. Well, hopefully not. Nobody's pushing you a latte and they're like, this is going to change yeah, maybe. your life forever. I feel like it, I feel like that could, it could be that way. But I think that the, in the end, it's like, it's just a latte, like settle down, yeah. right? That's yep. more the attitude. It's just like, yeah, we're trying to be the best, but don't like take that so seriously to the point where it like sort of corrodes like the, the culture or the experience for everybody else or the experience for yourself because you're so obsessed with an outcome. Yeah. You're just like, oh gotta be the best at any cost okay i mean that's cool for you i'm gonna go with you but i might hang back just a little bit sometimes and have some breve just like (laughs) yeah if we had like uh if we train outside and then you and then you know some people will bring snacks or whatever like we would totally be like still barefoot training we literally done this and that on the trip where the sort of the story came together we were in the pacific northwest Playing barefoot in the dirt, training on the trees in um, it's uh, the park is is it Soldier, uh, not Soldier Monument Park, the one in Seattle. Yeah, it's Monument Park. Monument Park. Yeah. And we're the like the one with all the like the tall trees. The tall trees. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's Monument Park. And we and we're barefoot, but then it's like oh we need to go get coffee, so we sit down barefoot with like you know we would totally if we could if we we're really good at this we you know just have like a kit and press our own espresso and then foam it, steam foam it with some sort of electrical device and then just sit and have a really like dainty 
Just like a Buddhist, a Buddhist brevet. A Buddhist brevet, right? Like a little, a little brevet ceremony. Not <laughs> <laughs> in the park. We need to develop the brevet ceremony. That's a real thing mm. because I just love how jarring and sophisticated that is as well. That's hilarious. So if anybody knows a good brevet ceremony, let's let's do that. All right. So that so the so the metaphor. If people are like, why is it? Why does it matter? Why does it coffee matter? So here's one of the reasons why it came about was because, like everyone in parkour, we were drawn to travel and because we knew we could learn from that sort of that journey that hero's journey or whatever the an analogous um interest is for for people um is is we wanted to travel but here's the here's the parallel like i feel like in the fitness world why parkour people are different or at least our culture is different the brevet culture is different is again this trying hard thing it's like in fitness it's like if you're gonna train you're gonna go out and what are you gonna do? You're gonna buy a bunch of gloves and then you're gonna put on like really tight like spandex. And it's okay if you do this. So I'm not targeting anyone who owns gloves. All right, it's fine. But we've just, all done it. We've all done it. Someone, the first thing you do is to go- Just some of us did it before social media. And <laughs> right. thus it's not documented. Right, and thus it's not documented. We've all been there. And it's like they're all very prepared and everyone has like a notepad. Collins literally has a notepad right here. He's just drawing, drawing the predator, dude. He's just started not even listening to the podcast. He's drawing the predator. <laughs> wow. <Hey>. Okay, so <laughs> that's pretty good though. Let me see that. Again. That is a good. Oh, put that. Show it on the camera so people that's, can see that. That's, that's not, a quality I don't predator. Think that's the predator, actually. It's not. It's not. I'm just drawing. It has the same dreads, <laughs> so you may be like uh, racially profiling there. No, he's like, he's de- he's like <laughs> doing self-portrait with no brevet. It's Call them without coffee. Self a self portrait. <laughs> so post go. that on there. Um, so the so we needed like the next thing you do is then you go to the the vitamin store and you buy like sixty dollar pre workout and then you have your during workout and you have your post workout supplement and you have your shaker and all these things and again I consume some supplements but they're just very like geared up and again that's back to like almost trying a little bit too hard so when we would travel we'd still have the same needs. Like you need nutrition, you need caffeine, you don't need it. But we were essentially doing the same thing. It's like, we're fast, we're hopping, what's around is coffee shops. And when we train, we train outside and in cities or in environments where you don't have the time to sit down and do a full meal thing, the fastest thing to do to get a bunch of calories was to walk into a coffee shop and order a brevet because mm-hmm. you'd get so many calories because they're very full on calories. Like if you do a brevet right, you might be hitting 800 calories and if you're really the only reason you wouldn't choose full cream is because that's just a little heavy when you're actually good. training, right? Yeah, and, and usually <laughs> you're training in like hot weather. So like Ron Burgundy said, milk was a bad choice. <laughs> milk yeah. was a bad choice. So, like, so there's, a, there's a line there. Heavy whipping cream is definitely a tasty treat, but that's more of like a fall coffee drink. Or like dessert, right? Or that's your post-workout. That's yeah. There's right. There's that's your post. casein pre-workout before no, no, you go to bed. Heavy whipping cream. It's a winter thing for for sure. So we could it's get big, it's like a, even the Italian like sodas. Heavy cream. Mm. What the pumpkin heavy pumpkin cream brevet? Oh well, then we'll have to ask what your favorite brevet is. Be thinking yeah. about that. Um, mm-hmm. So the so we would travel and train, and the easiest way to get calories was to pick up like a cold or a warm drink, depending on, and you just get the half and half. And if you, you really shouldn't be putting much sugar in there, but you get a little bit of carbs if you need like a little bit of carbs in there, they're easy to throw in. And so it's sort of this catch-all. Instead of like people doing like a protein shake or a cookie, the brevet was sort of our more, sort of a classier version of that, a little more sophisticated, a little more finesse, right? Yeah. And so we, but it was also a great break to stop and get coffee and enjoy that. And we, are, we don't typically drink, so like that was a good way for us to connect with people that we travel with as well, is to, is to just have didn't have coffee that that coffee culture and there was a little bit of caffeine in there so you got a nice little little jolt on performance and your mental acuity was a little bit higher for a while when you're carrying around mm-hmm. around a brevet so we and then you worked at, at coffee shops and and really so you had some insight there and and so that was early on in the culture we we took one trip where we traveled to the um, west coast and along the way we took trains planes and trains but we took planes and trains and we were we were drinking a lot of brevet and we were joking about how this was a cultural sort of example of us because people at that time didn't know what brevets were it was very uncommon for us to be like oh i'm gonna order a brevet and oftentimes you'd go into coffee shops and they would just wouldn't know and still don't sometimes yeah it, yeah i mean it definitely like if you go into a legit coffee shop they've always known right but yeah but if you went into just then, kind of a run-of-the-mill we're talking circa 20, 2012 
2013. And the... Um, and that coffee culture hadn't grown yet, so we were, I like to think we were a little bit ahead of the curve. But again, that's the hipster sophistication coming out, right? Like, we, we, so we would go and we order these drinks, and people would ask us about them. Well, one time, we were uh, traveling by Amtrak north to uh, British Columbia, right? So we were coming out, of, coming out of Seattle, headed up to uh, BC to hit up uh, Origins, and the... Uh, we go into the dining car and we go in there and there's this guy and you know he talks to a lot of people so he's kind of ripped in you know i think i feel like those dining car guys on trains are like sort of <laughs> super amateur like stand-up comedians and so um he he takes a look at us and sort of like slightly disheveled hair you know looking like you know super anyway anyway so he looks at us and he's like we get we step up we step up to order and he looks at the three of us and he's like what are you guys, a boy band? <laughs> and <laughs> and we're like, yeah, we're the, we're the, uh, we're a boy band. And he's like, well, what's your name? And you we were like, uh, we're the Breve Bros. <laughs> and yeah. so that was where it's sort of the original Breve ter- culture term came from. With yeah, just thank, this, Thanks Amtrak guy. Thanks Amtrak You're guy. The inspiration for our cultural. So then that was a joke. We were going to make shirts and we were going to do this whole like clothing line as everyone dreams, but then realized how impractical that was. We sort of just kind of made some shirts for ourselves and whatnot. That caught on around. People thought it was cool. I think that um, at one point when I told this story to Brandon Douglas, he said that he had actually him and him and his friends had created a cappuccino crew yeah and then they were like yeah. well we need a battle like you know <laughs> ron Ber- the ocho right yeah. like they need to have a battle where the cappuccino crew versus the breve bros but once it got caught on here you know our coaches and stuff liked it they thought it was cool they also like to work at coffee shops and stuff so it really fit our culture and the um uh so then the uh, we take a picture we take a group picture at our old location of sort of the coaches together and it was sort of this like g- game of thrones like mock-up picture right yeah i don't even know how we like what was the premise of taking the picture i think we just like we were training and filming and we had the camera and like we had a group picture and it ended up yeah like we did like a everybody serious one mm-hmm. and we just had this like like cool like tiered group of us all standing there looking all regal, Serious, regal and regal, then we, yeah. we looked back at the picture and we were like ah oh, we look like game of thrones like yeah like the breve lords right we, we were the lords breve, breve lords now we're the lords of breve right so then then breve lords stuck that's the one that really stuck and then we just started making like an annual shirt out of it so i also uh, feel like it's better because it's like it's it's a little more gender you know gender neutral right like i think all genders are okay with being a lord Mm-hmm. It's cool. Mm-hmm. Not everybody wants to be a bro. Yeah. And sometimes it, bros don't even want to be bros. Bros sometimes know? don't even want to be bros. And I, I do think Breve Bro is a little bro-y. That was our boy band version. That, that was the boy band stage, version. You know, that was yeah, in stuff. sync. And then we broke off to be JT on his own. That's a perfect solo. example because JT is a lord for sure. Yeah. But in sync is like definitely bros. Definitely some Breve bros. Perfect analogy. It's like fine. It. It's fine. They made music. They made money. They did their thing. But JT's music was just better when he went off on his own. Right? It was. He's, JT's awesome. Okay, so the favorite Breve. So if you have a Breve, everybody knows the knows each other's order for the most part. I know each other. I know you guys' order. But um, you guys tell me favorite Breve. Your yeah. go-to Breve. Not the favorite because then you'll tell me something really like <laughs> one time, you know, it was a full moon. And then you, you had the Breve and the power of the red moon went into the, you know what I mean? Like, what's your go-to? Oh, go-to is just vanilla. Vanilla Breve. But yeah, it changes that's every so season. Vanilla, dude. That's that's my so that's my go-to when I'm not carby conscious. That's is the Breve pumpkin right? when it's when it's fall time for sure. Van Breve, I'm, I'm so straight Van Breve. So yeah. if they were, but yours is mocha. Yours is mocha, isn't it? Yeah, mine's definitely mocha. Yeah, <laughs> mine's Breve mocha through yeah. and through. Because that's it's a superior drink. <laughs> why why is that? See, because I like vanilla, not just because I'm pasty Breve white, but like I just think that vanilla is one of those things. It's like espresso, where it's so subtle. It's a very subtle thing. I mean, assuming you go to Starbucks to get the vanilla, they put like eight douses of like the vanilla flavored sugar in there. That's not really vanilla. Um, three, four, five. Actually. I like. I like. <laughs> wow. Wow. Three pumps. You know what's really better though? Cinnamon vanilla breve. Bindle will do it. I always really? ask him. Just put cinnamon in your vanilla. That one's better. 
Yeah. So I was gonna say, like, I I usually try not to make a complicated order because, um, I worked in a coffee shop, and even though, like, if you if you have a complicated order at a coffee shop, mm. you can order it. They'll make it for you. They're gonna do it with a smile on their face. It's not like inside mm-hmm. they're gonna be like, oh, this freaking Justin ordering his freaking double mm-hmm. tall freaking cinnamon mocha. Yeah. Right. They're not gonna hate you for it. But I'm also just conscious of like, I get it. It's back there. So. I just do, like, a small brand of mocha. That's usually mm-hmm. the way it goes. Mm-hmm. But if I'm feeling fancy, I want to do a Mexican good. mocha. Mm. Which is cinnamon oh, yes. And uh, and uh, um, it's got a spice in there, too. It's got chili flakes. Yeah. If they if the yep. coffee shop has it, they put a little bit of chili flakes. Chili flakes. Ooh, that's not... So I what are they? Like, if you've known... No, yeah. A lot of people out here, just, they're like, wait, what? <laughs> people right now, they, they, there's this whole layer of coffee I don't understand. And... Yes, there is such a thing as flavored coffee, but not like <laughs> <laughs> hazelnut Folgers, right? So if you if you haven't tried certain coffees, sometimes try the special coffee. The the coffee shop, if it's a if it's a nicer coffee shop, they'll have like a special that they're making mm-hmm. where they use like honey or they use something more subtle and it's not real strong. Um, try those out. Honey and lattes are pretty bomb. Honey lattes are great. They're and a pain to make. What's the one that we got? I think it's in. Seattle on the Fisherman's Wharf, like the one wharf, 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 wharf. Yeah, next. <laughs> what? Now we're talking about like a Halo Elite. Wharf, 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 wharf. It's next to the first ever Starbucks or whatever. There's a shop. Oh, Pikes, yeah, the Pikes Peak Market. Is it, yeah, the Pikes Peak Market, and then there's a shop Pikes right there. Market, yeah. And I swear, it maybe it is a Mexican mocha. I think it probably, might actually yeah. was a Mexican mocha. And that was probably just because the whole experience I was traveling at the time. I think I was really hungry. We just had a meal. And, you know, the you know the essence of that really cool spot, iconic spot in Seattle, mixed with the just amazing, amazing coffee. Yeah. you can It can be really good. But you can't go too sweet. No. No, you can't. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm just going to – I'm going to dig in a little bit because I think the uh, vanilla uh, – Breve Vanilla Latte is, like, I think it's, it's like... It's kind of boring. No, I, no, no, no. I gotta be honest. It's, it's like, it's it, vanilla, if you get really good vanilla, is, is, it's kind of like, you know, mm-hmm. Italian food, where the, it's about the quality of the ingredient, right? If you get somebody who's got super quality, like, espresso, and they're putting all the love, <laughs> they're whisking that guy, right? You know what I'm talking about? What's that spot, that guy over in Denver, who does the, when he, when he was doing the mochas for us? He'd like throw in the, the oh. mocha, the espresso with mixed with the mocha. Then he'd whisk. Then he'd then he'd drop the the cream right. and steam. He had some ridiculous Those voodoo. Stuff, right? If you yeah. go and order a coffee and behind it, it looks like some sort of like steampunk factory. Yes. Some and sort then, of like alchemical. Experiment. Right. And the barista's <laughs> yeah. back there like with a like thick robe on and glasses with like binoculars on him, and he's whisk. He's got a he's whisking stuff, and I was always like, yeah, you said all this alchemy going on. You know you're about to get some awesome coffee. Yeah, but it's okay to walk out of that coffee shop if you walk up to the counter and you order a drink and they scoff at you or they correct your order. Kind of like that one Mm. time we were in Vancouver and you walked up and ordered a Breve, which is not a drink, it's Mm. an ingredient. Right. And the guy was like, a Breve what, dude? Yeah, Breve what? (laughs) And I was like, like, first off, sir... (laughs) Thanks for correcting my friend because I've told him for years Breve is an ingredient, not a drink. Mm-hmm. But just secondly, that's super rude, and nobody's rude to my friends. <laughs> Only I get to be rude right. to my friends. So I remember that guy, and I actually continue to go into that restaurant and order it the same way. It is still very tasty. <laughs> the the guy is very good. Yeah, can I get a Breve? And he's like, Breve what? I'm like, you don't remember from yesterday? What about an hour ago? Like you're we, supposed to we, know my we drink. We pretty much like. Two or three times a day. I do it anyway, just because I'm like trying to be a little like, wow, be a little sassy. Yeah, I'm a little sassy. Let's yeah. see what you say. So it doesn't it doesn't bother me. I, I kind of like when they're sassy, and I know they care. <laughs> but yeah, but I mean, part of the, part of the like, I think that's a, that's another reason why you know, the breve fits. That's our culture is because when you go get a coffee, the reality is you can with couple hundred dollars of equipment make a very comparable level like latte at home 
right? Mm. A little bit of like YouTube videos and like one of those like single boiler like steamers, you can make yourself pretty much a latte, right? Mm-hmm. And it'll be eight out of 10 of what you'd get at like a fancy coffee shop. Mm-hmm. It'll get you close enough, it'll get you in the ballpark. But you go, one, for the convenience, but two, for the experience, mm-hmm. right? Of having somebody else make it with this really cool machinery, mm-hmm. who knows what they're doing, who can tweak it however you want. If you're like, oh, can I have more foam? They know exactly how to do that. If you're like, oh, make it a little less sweet for me, they know how to do that, right? right. And they know all these tweaks. They know the full formula, and they know where they can plug and play in that formula. And so you go for the experience. And I think for us, that's a part of our culture too. Right? Yes. Like the results of your training are awesome. And that's, that is a goal, mm-hmm. right? Getting, getting that trick or getting that skill or improving as a whole. But the process of getting there needs to be an experience as well, mm-hmm. right? And that's part of the fun is being there and watching other people also do that process mm-hmm. and going to your coach and them knowing the formula of how you get there and where you can plug and play. If you're like, hey, I want my backflip to be more stylized, what do I do, right? Your coach knows, oh, here's the backflip formula. Here's where you can plug and play cool things to make it your own. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's the same thing with, with like coffee culture, with brevet culture yeah. in a coffee shop. It's like you get to make that coffee your own, right? You guys have your There's some alchemy You guys there. have your brevet vanilla latte. Right. It's just the easiest one for them too not to mess up. It gives me that's a little bit of flavor. And it's like if I go and brevet I'm get vanilla, but, I'm getting something, but it's not Well sometimes it's like with the sometimes they have like those like uh the bourbon vanilla Aged in some weird wood barrel, like, yeah. Okay, like blessed by elven druids, like lavender, dude. I can't stand lavender lattes. Really, the lavender mm. lattes. You do not want to chew on a leaf. Yeah, leaves with milk mixed in. Mm. It's just no belong in there. I'm not just not into lavender on nope. in stuff in general. But, but also, uh, there's also a parallel too with and that this is the uh Is that the the coffee shop aesthetics? There's always a cool coffee shop out there that has the same mm-hmm. design aesthetic. That's like, you know, it has nothing to do with the coffee, but, you know, they're growing moss on the wall and they're at brick or they have metal and steel. And that's also the culture that I like, too. The characters visiting different coffee uh, shops and seeing their design. And, and that mirrors the gym relationships, too. When we go out, we love uh, appreciating other gyms' aesthetics. We have always uh, been inspired by Forge, right? Their gym, is cool. Super, uh, but but any but any design. gym we go to, we look at it, I see a little bit of subtlety. I'm like, oh, we should we could add an element like that. Yep. Let's do yep. something like that. And yep. so I think that that would be cool. That's what I really like about parkour gyms is there's really an opportunity for that. If we could somehow break through like the like glass ceiling that is well, that doesn't always matter to every gym's culture, but but for us, I like it. And if we were to do multiple gyms, um, I think we'd want them to have their own character yeah. and be yeah. different. Right in yeah. that way. Yeah, Tempest is really good at that too. Yeah, define their locations almost by their their uh, their obstacles. Yeah, and so we have that we have that subtle that subtlety as well. So that's uh, I think really travel drives that, but that's a little bit of insight into into our culture. And then you can you got to ask yourself, you know, um, you know what you what you appreciate about your training, and then make it make that about you a little bit. You know, we aren't we've never really been able to chase. Um, stuff other than our own but in order to um in order to really thrive in that way you have to start to really analyze and think about what it is that really makes you happy that you like about your culture and your training and it took us a while to figure out that that's kind of what brevet culture was but it's sort of like you know that whole process it's sort of yeah not not everybody needs like a an icon or a a catchphrase if you will Mm -hmm. like a title for their culture you know what i mean it certainly helps if if you're a business and you want to be able to communicate your culture, yeah. then you kind of need to be able to label it. But if it's just you and your friends like training, mm-hmm. you don't need to label that. And if you do want to label that, don't force it. Right. Like we didn't sit around at a round table and be like, all right guys, let's come up with something for our culture, right? Like a dude on an Amtrak train was the one that gave it to us for the most part. And yeah. then we expanded on that because we were like, ah, oh, that's funny, we like that, right? Let it come naturally. Like your culture, if, if you truly do have a culture that is unique in its own sense, it will eventually make itself known to you mm-hmm. if you're just looking out for it, right? So if you're just looking for the opportunity, eventually it's just gonna pop out there and be mm-hmm. like, hey, I'm here. And then you're like, hey, I recognize that because that's my culture. And if you, and that's, s- if you step back, 
And this is really good. So maybe the biggest thing that someone could gain from, from this episode, in my opinion, is we have a lot, like, it's like, how to, na- how to name your parkour crew. You know what I mean? And there are different yeah. layers of that. But I oftentimes run into people who are, you know, they're newer or they just, they've got a group and they're like, oh, we have to come up with our, with our name, our group. And then we have to make videos around it. And then we have to make product around it. And then we have to, there's this whole process because they see that happening everywhere else. And so I think the, the how is really about, you know, the journey and the positive characteristics. So are the characteristics you want to express about who you are. So if you're sitting there and trying to come up with a name for your, your parkour team or even your movement team or even your gym or your gym's identity, is like don't go to the outside. Look at the inside first. The problem mm-hmm. is that takes time. You know, we did that definitely with OutRun. But uh, an outrun absolutely has a culture, but there can be diff- there can be different layers of things, and there can be different facets of it and whatnot. Um, so when we did our exercise for branding for for outrun, we absolutely just talked about what we already had that was the best of us, and taking that approach instead of being like, "What's a cool sounding name?" You know, we did spend yeah. time on the name, but it was seven years in the making. You know what I mean? It wasn't like. You can't force it, so try and, I wish somebody told me advice in branding, either pick something, if you aren't set on what you want for like a brand or a name for your, to identify with or something like that, it's like you have to pick the absolute, stick with the absolute worst name, so you have to change it at some point, don't let it be something that like you could kind of settle into and people are like, oh that's those guys, right? (laughs) Right, exactly, so you pick something that's horrible as a placeholder, or you don't name it until you feel like you have enough to tell a story. And I think at the center of it is the storytelling of the culture in order to be able to identify with it. And other people can relate. Oh yeah, no, I've traveled before. Oh, you know what? Yeah, I do like that. I do like a little bit of finesse. I do like the quality, but I don't want to take things so seriously. Then maybe you're in alignment with, with our, with our, mm-hmm. what's at the center of our, of our culture. And traveling can, can be an additive to that. That yeah. can be part of that creative process, right? Like I am not, I'll be front and center in that I'm not a creative, right? Like creative being like artist, musician, mm-hmm. somebody who makes creatives. Right. Um, that's that's not me. You guys know that I'm like very like yeah. A, B, C, maybe an A1, A2, A3, <laughs> B1, B2, Just B3. Just more of like a physics approach, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. I like a little bit more of a scientific approach. So that's not me. But when it comes to designing like... Mm-hmm when we talked about the brand, right? Like I was able to pull on my experience of traveling to other gyms, of training with a wide variety of different parkour athletes or just athletes in general and being like, oh, I get like, there was this culture at this gym that maybe was like a football gym, right? Where they like, they're an indoor football in Iowa, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I really liked the atmosphere that I felt in there, I'm not even a football guy, what was it, right? Mm. And so like being able to, tra- like traveling and going to these different places and seeing other athletes from different sports and from your own, allows you to pull from different cultures and see and experience like, what was it that they did right mm-hmm. that I want, mm-hmm. right? Um, one here that's here in town in Fort Collins is um, Beautifully Savage, the oh, boxing yeah. gym, right? Mm-hmm. Like none of us, we don't box, um, well, you have experienced boxing, and my mom boxes me all the time every holiday. Yeah. But enough to know part, I don't like to get hit in the head. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> but like, but we we reference their stuff a lot because we really liked their brand, mm-hmm. right? And you went in and took classes, and mm-hmm. you were like, "Oh, this is really awesome!" Like, mm-hmm. right? And so, yeah, it reflected the experience. Like, it wasn't like you, there was a facade on the website, and then you go in, and the experience there is totally different. It the tone resonated through the experience yeah. there. Yeah, and so, that's important. So that that's sort of like traveling to other places to train with other people or just to experience other gyms or cultures can be a very important part of defining your own culture. Mm-hmm. And also when you travel together, like let's say you have a team, that's one of the best ways. So again, if you're looking to, I'm trying to get some utility out of this for folks. If you're, if you, one part is understanding us, but then the other part is understanding you know how you would do something similar and I think that is travel can really put the lens on the culture of how you work together as as a group and I only really have positive experiences of us traveling together like I don't I remember them being very good and sort of think fondly of them and then if you can sort of identify what those fond things are then you can do you can sort of help to build a culture around that so step one you know identify who makes up your culture 
And then step two, start to be a little bit of an anthropologist about that and start to look at, you know, what is it that's unique about us? What is it we would want to carry forward and what would we like to get rid of? You know what I mean? Don't force it because sometimes your weaknesses are what makes it's the kind of quirky things that make up who you are, right? Your, your, your solutions to said weaknesses, yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, stay focused on the positives. Yeah, we stay on positive. Yeah, right. Exactly. But I'm just thinking, like, yeah, you just don't, don't ignore, don't force it, don't ignore stuff. Just, just again, empty the cup, let it show up, and then you can kind of say, oh, okay, cool, that's cool, that's that's unique about us. Instead of just trying to pick like a name that you know just sounds cool, it's much easier to be more creative and ask and look at the attributes that you already have. Then um, spend some time together. I'm not saying it's impossible to come up with a brand without any sort of history, but you have to draw on some kind of history, right? I mean, what is it, what are you trying to communicate with your brand, with your team? Are you guys just trying to have a good time? Okay, let it, let it arise. Oh, you guys wanna do work? You wanna, you wanna do some projects for people? Okay, then, then you need to have that kind of slant. And then just like, you know, Outrun is, our, is the brand of our gym, and then we sort of have, you know, sort of, uh, brevet culture is sort of boiled up or foamed up in the, within that as just sort aerated. of a, an origin story helping it, yeah what is it Aer- aerated. aerated aerated is aerated <laughs> in that um as an as an origin story and in, in a deeper aspect of culture that's that's not so serious um it, it you know it's just complimentary you can have a couple but just understand what you're trying to communicate within that it would take most yeah. people a while to to understand that or connect with that i think who train who train with us but don't in other words, like a, a short one for the for like Gen Z and other younger millennials. Mm-hmm. Don't pick your gamer tag too fast. Oh yeah, <laughs> pick a horrible one. Like well, pick a really bad yes. one. Such YZ two thousand four two six whatever you so know. What I mean? people, but right. like, don't don't be like don't be like Shadow Dragon thirteen nineteen. Like, <laughs> right. Don't like that's taking yourself too seriously. Um, let it come. Just let it. Yeah. Let it. Let it. Let it flow. If you're if you play games to have fun, name your gamer tag something fun and goofy mm-hmm. that when people see they'll chuckle about. Mm-hmm. Um, if you do, if you are trying to be a professional, pick a professional name. Shadow Dragon One Two Three Nine mm-hmm. is not like a professional thing that like you want people shouting. Right. Hey, that guy Shadow Dragon One Two Three Nine. <laughs> oh my gosh, right? Like you don't want people shouting that. So like in in the similar vein mm-hmm. that you would pick that, like define what it is. What is your goal for your culture? Mm-hmm. Is it to just have fun and enjoy the movement, or is it a more business venture? Mm-hmm. In which case, it needs to be professional, mm-hmm. and then kind of start moving in that direction, you know. And it's okay to like have fun. Like, not everything needs to be, you know, a businessy venture. Um, and even fun. There's a ton of fun brands out there that then pivoted to become businessy ventures, if that's mm-hmm. the goal, right? But they started out just wanting to be fun. So yeah, and you also have to understand. I think sometimes understanding language. Oftentimes, when you think about brand, you, it really needs to make sense. Like when we were thinking about Outrun, like it was more, um, so there's two types, right? Because, because Outrun was selected because it was very clear when you think Outrun it could, that it could be a parkour brand. Um, Breve Lords might not have made any sense as a parkour brand. It really doesn't, and the fact that it doesn't is why culturally it's interesting in that facet. And that sort of extends outside of, I think you were talking about when you do your design, using using Brevet in your um, design blog that you were talking about, your product research blog. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and following that culture. But again, because the finesse and the style. Have Because I need a desk. I need like a side table desk. So I'm wondering if you oh. have <laughs> side table desks on your blog that I can look at. Uh, yeah, I have plenty of side tables. Nice. How many of them are uh, under none of them. $600? <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. All right. So it's not, this is not a, an affordable brand. <laughs> Proud of you. Justin told us last episode that he's working on a side project of uh, doing product review and, uh, and he's going to select some products. It sounds like they're, they may be out of our price range mostly, but that's cool. Still cool to look at. Yep, it's that's cool, thing, it's cool to look at. Yep, mm-hmm. Joss has also been very good about finding very expensive furniture and then being like, I can build that. Yeah, yeah, that's the other thing too. Just getting inspiration for In fact, for doing Col- it on a smaller yeah. scale. Colin and I were just talking about that, how I like to look at that, and then I was like, well, I, I could build that, but it would probably actually end up just taking me way more time than it's worth to just save up and spend the money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was like, and while building is definitely like a, a labor of love, I'm an efficient man, so sometimes I just want to buy it. But 
and again it's back to loving the process so if you mm -hmm. if you have that that feeling of like oh there's something i want okay and then you're ready to settle in and like start building this entire project it's just like <laughs> you better want to do it i feel like that that's not a type of procrastination but it's definitely an approach that that doesn't work with like testing faster someone's working with a lot of um you know silicon valley companies for software in the past we would talk about you know you know doing faster iterative testing and doing these these mvps these minimum viable products and and testing things quicker but the lesson to be learned with that is just you know you you do have to be patient patiently impatient because you if you find something you like then getting sort of drunk on the idea of getting ready to do it and never actually doing it is something that people get stuck in so if you're talking about a brand or something like that you have to or an identity or a culture you have to start working on that right away in little chunks that are manageable right so don't like oh i could build that i feel like that's a common like midwestern characteristic that i had with a lot of like um friends or family and the midwest would be like oh it's very you just like, oh, look at this thing. Like, they wouldn't like to buy expensive things if they thought they could build it. But then they never build it. But then you never build it. Yeah. You're like, oh, I've been working on that to my shop for, like, years. The dude's, like, 70. And you're like, oh, gosh. If this is any forecast of the need to test things faster, then I think you got to figure that out earlier. Same thing with your culture. Don't kick stuff out on the road too too far. Try and start to, you know, catalog what it is that you're that you're doing early on, usually through video. It's the best, mm -hmm. one of the better ways to do it. Um, and then... And then you go from there. And I think if you want, if you want a more actionable thing where you're, you're making small chunks, um, everybody has like a note-taking app on their phone, mm -hmm. right? Regardless of what OS you're using. And when you're out training or or moving with your crew, try and keep track of the things that you guys say that come up over and over again, mm -hmm. right? One, this is really good because if you keep noting things like, "Oh, so and so junks." jokes about how I suck at jumping um, then you can also be like oh that's a not a thing we want mm -hmm. right we don't want to be like tearing Dr each other yeah, down, each other down but sometimes there's just funny sayings that you guys have that you that you don't notice because you say them all the time mm -hmm. right and you don't know that that's a part of your culture yeah those sayings are a part of your culture and if you start noting those like when Justin's saying something and I'm like oh wait that is like that's a unique thing pop open your phone make a note of it and then eventually you'll have a long list of like these goofy or fun or mm. productive sayings or colloquialisms mm. that your crew has that you can then start to put together to get an idea of what your culture is and what to name it you mm. know and that that's I think a that's one. a huge thing because like if I were to ask you guys right now what's an English colloquialism off the top of your head mm -hmm. you'd be like yeah because I'm right now trying to come up with one right? right but okay i would guarantee you before we walk out of the gym today we will have said one oh that yeah if we you... said it that if you translated it into another language they'd be like huh yeah what, is that? what are you talking about yeah there right? are definitely terms that are that are common to your to your your group your crew your your squad mm -hmm. or whatnot so everybody's and got them everybody's got them figuring out what they are and just kind of own them because that's that's how language works and it's there's so much transferred in uppy uppy downy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's some inside stuff, right? You can just like um, get those inside jokes that you guys all get that only someone in the in the circle would understand. Hitting those um, notes um, with your culture and then bringing other people in on them is, is is part of is part of building a culture. So I think that the quick urge to build a brand and to build an identity and things like that, which really aren't, there's just the experience of training with each other or training at your gym or training yeah. and that being in that space is really all that's there so don't don't try and force it but at the same time when you want to tell that story you need to take the time to look around stop trying to make it up and just look around and see what's going on around you and yeah. you know what if you realize that that's not that great well then you got a problem right but at least you why know are you that perpetuating that something that's not that great <laughs> yeah. well and now you're aware of it right? yes and you can now, change it now you can change it but if you weren't aware of it you weren't able to change it so Exactly, so I think that's a really good tip. Brand names for people. I think that you were talking about the, the name being not great, that's really like specific, like, um, you know, Velazzo Dragon 2323 <laughs> or whatever. Uh, actually, that one's not that bad. But it's kind of funny. Velocidragon? Dragon? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were like, what's a Velocidragon? Dragon? 
It's like a dragon, but it's a rat. Well, those are kind of dragons. All right, I gotcha. Okay, so, uh, you know, coming up with it sparks these... conversation, though, see? People yeah, like, it sparks the, a conversation. Exactly. Dragons. Sometimes, like, well, sometimes you want should. something to be kind of jarring. You don't really want it to always <laughs> make instant sense. It doesn't cause... It reminds me of Dirt Nubs. Dirt Nubs, dude. <laughs> mm. It's a gamer tag. It's a gamer tag. He was a guy we played with. Legend. Yeah, he was years he was ago. Good. Yeah, he was good, and we were very impressed with Dirt Nubs. Yeah, but see, like, like it sticks what in your is head. Dirt Nubs? <laughs> no, it's <laughs> so weird. It sticks in your head. Did. So you got that. I think Breve, the Breve Lords, is on one side where it's like you're telling the story, and then when you understand it, you're like, oh, that makes sense. I think Outrun's a little easier to understand. It's like you're outrunning. You're faster. You're there's run in it. It's easy for kids. The vocabulary is like. Very basic. It, Outrun is not like a college level word that you wouldn't, you aren't going to, you aren't going to encounter. It's sticky, and it's also it's a little bit specific to what we do. It's Outrun is probably not like a, a legal agency. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> it's like unless you're like fug for fugitives, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Outrun bonds, right? <laughs> that would be good. But the but yeah so we so you think a little bit about that keep it keep it simple keep it flexible sometimes and think and then think about your audience it is it is tough to come up with these names but don't but I but I think basic rules are like don't make it so obscure unless you want it to be like obscure if that's a background story it makes it makes some sense but well and you're always you're always going to be more sensitive to the title of your culture your brand than other people are mm -hmm. right it's true like if you had been like. I'm gonna make my brand Apple. Mm -hmm. You'd be like, bro, what's your industry? Agriculture? Mm -hmm. Computers? Okay, run that by me just one more time. Yeah. Apple? Right? But it makes total sense. Everybody else just takes it in stride now. They're like, mm -hmm. when you say, mm -hmm. I have an Apple computer, they're like, oh yeah, I know it. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's a Mac. Yeah. Um, so you're always gonna be more sensitive and like volatile. In reaction to the brand name than other people are right and don't get too hung up on that you want to like it of course but sometimes it's okay to be like you know what this is cool I think other people may not understand it all the way mm -hmm. but they're not gonna dislike it right. right that's a pretty common thing too is, is being overly critical about things and not being able to separate yourself from your customers view right. or from just outside people view viewing your brand, the cultural right? view, right? And exactly. that's that's when you try too hard to make something that like is going to have it. the same emotional reaction with everybody. You can't force it. And oftentimes, sometimes you get really excited about an idea, and then like no one else is excited about it. That still matters. So <laughs> I do. Right. That two things have happened. Like your idea is really not that good, and you just think it is, which happens all the time. Or you've just had a failure to to communicate the vision or the story, or to get people to understand. Um, where what the origin is and why and why it makes sense, and then you have to do work to show that. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's that's really where we are, or have been with Outrun too, was is we have to show people the culture and show people um, what it's about, and then they get oh okay now I get it. It makes it makes a little more sense. So that that's that's good if you're trying to come up with your own brand. I think we maybe do another episode at some point about just logos. I think that how to make a logo for your brand or whatever is a process we went through, and we could use Outrun as a way to explain. That at some point, I think that would be another cool topic that people would enjoy. Because I think a lot of people want to find a way to identify. Even if you're just identifying with your own like name or you have your own project or whatever, that's that's really helpful. Good information. But as far as travel goes, to sort of like wrap that up, what uh, um, what do you guys feel for travel was like your most impactful travel experience? Um, as related to. Work, yeah, so we kind of talked about how the impact that, like, if we look at through the lens of culture and Breve and Breve culture and the Breve Lords and that identity, um, we talk about that one of the, the trip were sort of that started to form, right? The, the culture started to form and that'd be, be more of an identity that was, that was fun to associate um, with. But the, uh, but the act of traveling, that was for, like, Breve, the Breve Lords, <laughs> no, that was that, that backstory, but for you guys individually, what what was sort of like a defining travel moment for you personally? I don't know if I've, I mean, uh, India was definitely, that was an intense one. Okay, India, uh, so what happened there? Well, we, our, our stepfather from, was born and raised in India. Um, 
And so we went there when my mom mm-hmm. and her stepdad got married. Um, and it's definitely like if you've never been to a developing world country, it's culture shock. It's culture shock for sure, but it it definitely coming from like you know northern Colorado yeah. to the population density, like the population density. Like, imagine all of the major cities in northern Colorado condensed into, like, a city the block. square footage of Fort Collins. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, and that might actually still not be quite right as to what Chembur in Mumbai was. Um, mm. And so it's it's just, it's something so, it's impactful not in the, there's a stereotypical way of, like, oh my gosh, we are so, like, blessed to live in America. And that's true. We are very fortunate to like have hit the jackpot to be born and raised and and there's conduct an our business of luck in America. There, for sure. Yeah, there's a huge. I mean, statistically, you have more chance of being born outside of the U.S. than in the U.S. Yeah. Um, but um, I think what was the most impactful for me about it was that it's amazing what other people will live and do and be okay with, because if you took anybody in the U.S. with the exception of a very few special individuals and you were to put them in the livelihood of those individuals they'd be like i quit Mm. this is unacceptable Mm -hmm. i have to share a bedroom with my brother and his wife and that's just weird Mm -hmm. and then i have to like we also have a goat in here i don't know why i have a goat but he is getting milk in the morning from iowa like i'm kind of used to the goats being around right so special exception (laughs) but then but like it's it's so amazing what some and they're not sad Mm -hmm. it's not like well not I won't speak for all of them, right. but they're like, no, this is my life, and I'm happy. Like, I have the things that I need. There's just a cultural Hopefully. difference. There's just a cultural difference, and I think that that to me was really cool to be like, you know, sometimes it's okay to just like to to suffer a little bit, for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. and to be like, you can be happy while suffering. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The, the suffering is obviously not actual mm-hmm. suffering, but you're right. just like, yeah, like I work a lot or I don't have a ton of money to pay all my bills, but I'm happy because I have enough money mm-hmm. to survive. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it, it was it was very interesting to me to, to interact in that culture and, and see those people and how they live. Mm-hmm. Um, and just know that there's such a wide diversity across the globe of how people can live mm-hmm. and still be happy, right? I mean, there's like that happiness quotient that people will talk about and of course the like happiest countries are like in the middle of Africa mm. Mm. and they're like yeah they have like a hut and they hunt they're mm-hmm. a very hunter gatherers type of lifestyle and they're content yeah right? it's because it, it has that there's that film or whatever where they introduce the coke bottle the empty coke bottle to an indigenous people and then <laughs> this chaos ensues because because so much of happiness has a relationship with desire and acceptance and so it's very it's this very good observation, um, and you feel like that contrast was what you learned. Travel gave you that contrast. You wouldn't have yeah. been able to experience and have that have that have that experience and learn that without it, right? Mm-hmm. So there sure. you go. And there was there parkour. A little bit, not much. Jumped on some it's, stuff. It's but. very hard to jump on things when there's like three hundred people around you at all times. Okay. Then, like like it was not. Couldn't um, jump. It was not quarantine friendly yeah like, yeah. Mm, yeah yeah not a lot of space to jump around yeah and also you're like hitting also a precision pretty- in somebody's window and they're like hey get off my <laughs> yeah you're also maybe like hitting a precision in somebody's trash yeah so yeah you don't want to you don't want to don't want to tear it up it was fun though <laughs> we'd go back kind of want to go back but what about you you uh, can't use that one even though you were there yeah, you can't use that one. Oh no my i think That's mine my- was the the month-long road trip with the apex team uh so uh, people don't know there was what was the series called was there a series uh, there was, was a series but what was the name right? the pro tour yeah, apex, the pro, apex tour. pro tour yeah, apex yeah. pro tour and this, this happened in 2012 yep. 13 2012 2012 the uh og apex crew traveled to like four or five later. cities maybe 20, no i think the first one was 2011 2011 so 2012. i don't remember how many cities we went to <laughs> It was a blur. There, yeah. Oh my god. And so, so who was on that trip? That was Ryan, me, Ryan uh, Ford, Amos, Dylan Baker, Dylan Baker, Jake Smith, Amos, and Dudley. Who uh, doing the doing the film stuff. Dudley also was went with us to yeah during to the, the Rebel Rose. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Trip. Yep. So yeah, that Good was just that. that was quite the experience. I had never been away that long. 
without any family members or friends from high school or How college. How old were you at that time? So that was 19, 19. 20, maybe. Okay. 20. That was 20. Right. Yep. Right. So, so yeah. with adults, traveling. With people, I, I, I mean, I, I knew everyone there. I'd spent almost five years knowing all of those people, but it was like once, you know, I only saw them once a week or once every other week. It wasn't like it was my best friend or traveling with Jesse or traveling with any of my family members. It was... It was uh, it was people who I just didn't know that well, um, but I had trained with, and so living with people um, <laughs> in a van and in gyms for a whole month was definitely quite the quite the experience. So um, definitely did stuff that I you know I just never th- would have thought I would be brave enough to do, um, and filming with people, and yeah, and getting injured <laughs> in the middle of the trip. Mm. So yeah. what was your injury in the middle of the trip? My neck injury. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. That stuck with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what were you doing? Uh, flyway pool into a foam pit, actually. Oh, yeah, we share that. We share our our, our deepest traumas yep. for injury in association with a foam pit. But yeah, I mean, it was just Man. a blast. I mean, seeing uh, and getting to see all these other athletes from from uh, you know all that from the East Coast was just crazy. You always see videos of people jumping. Because you're it was like your far. first time meeting like Max Henry, right? Yep. Yeah, that's where I met Max. Where I met uh, Mish. Yeah. Yeah, just so that in Misha's uh, Quebec, Ontario? I think so. Yeah, yes, French Canadian athlete who was very, very yeah. big. One of the first like trail. big athletes that really made people think, oh, yeah. big people can do parkour too. Yeah, I yeah. mean, he's big like six foot whatever in yeah. like, yeah, he's muscles, like six right? Yeah, he's huge. Like he's so he strides the entire length of the building like a, like a like a monster for sure. And then, and then uh, the other the original Apex guys, mm-hmm. and then. And then yeah, um, and then more expect Apex guys with, with that. Okay, so then so then that was just profound because you grew during that time. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, parallel parked a, a van in New York in Manhattan. Oh, there you go. That's without hitting experience. anything. That At was 19. pretty good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, it was uh, it was quite uh, quite the experience for sure. It was a blast. So and, and quite the training catalyst. I remember. Oh, yeah. Like Justin left, and I stayed here, obviously, to handle like classes and you know that that startup um, yeah. the business. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Um, and he came back definitely a better athlete. You know, oh, like like you what you would time. expect in the logical progression of a month, mm-hmm. right? Like there was definitely six months to a year's worth of progress condensed into that one month for Justin when he came back. Yeah. you know what I mean. And that was like readily noticeable for everybody else to be like, yeah. oh, this guy came back and like, he just went through the crucible mm-hmm. and came back. It's definitely something better. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So and you, you have that like, that's another part of travel. So if you're younger, you're going to travel. We had like another young student, um, you know, Levi has been talking about travel and, and was, was interrupted by COVID, I think, but he had the intention of going to Japan to train, um, uh, and I'm, I'm just, I just strongly encourage that when you're at the right age, if it's a safe environment, I think late teens, mm-hmm. early 20s is a great time to do that. I think you need to do it to grow, to observe contrast, to to push yourself, to feel what it's like to be alone. And a lot of times you can simulate, like the, I grew up when I was like 16, you know, 15, 16, I started like kind of helping support my family and stuff. But you don't have to go through that kind of trauma. You can just like go away for a while and be responsible for yourself, you know. Mom's not doing laundry, you know, the food isn't just on the table and like people are going to pick stuff up for you and, and you kind of have to find even how to be not lonely when you're away from home mm-hmm. and then still be able to chase after oftentimes having those goals helps that, right? If you're just out there yep. and you have no reason, that's tough, but if you can go because you're training and you just, that's always on your mind, oh, but I'm going to meet this, I'm going to level up, I'm going to achieve this skill or I'm going to have this experience, you know, this intention behind it, the intention matters so much, it can get you through a ton, having that focus and that intention. Um, for me, I, I mean, I've already talked about it, but obviously going to China was the big one for me. That was my first time. I was, I just got out of high school. It was my first time on a plane. I'd never been on a plane. <laughs> and I'd never been outside of the surrounding states of Iowa, which is basically like never being outside of Iowa. Yeah, like I'd been to like Chicago. A, yeah, and it was like, Iowa, ah. And then Iowa too. Right, so imagining like what this is gonna be like, but I'm just all in, I'm like, give me the ticket and it was a, so it was a one way ticket just bought a one way ticket hop on the plane had some flight issues get stuck I got stuck in Japan for a while because of flight stuff and that interfered with my stuck. yeah it just happens international travel it's really easy to like 
get your schedule off. And then, uh, um, and then I landed in um, China at that time, and that was that was before it was pretty common to travel to China. Like literally, if, if you're going to China, like there's very few people who are like, oh, I've also been or I'm going or whatever. So at a young age, just showed up there and having and just pursuing learning while I was there and training with different people and knowing that that was there and getting the education was um, probably where uh, where I grew the most such period of acceleration athletically you go from like I wasn't like a McDojo kid but you go from like a pretty not unathletic but you know you're from potential to like some serious leveling up it's very good so I would suggest and if I recall on the the China story you lost your passport yes the police actually found it on the side of the road and called you like what like a week before your flight or something like yeah, that and were like hey we have your passport it was on the side of the road and that you never actually received your passport no right? I I and I had my visa in it too so <laughs> it was like I yeah like it's it that that's a it's just a really weird miraculous story but my young naiveness I'm just like oh, I'm going to China I got my ticket so at that time you would go to I went to an agency in China because or in Chinatown because it was cheaper so I actually drove to Chinatown and then in the, in the you know the cultured streets the dusty streets of Chinatown Chicago in this like back alley agency got like a cheaper one-way ticket there's a paper ticket so I'm holding on to that ticket and then the I'd sent off for a visa which comes from China and then that had gotten lost. Someone stole the mail, tore it open, and dropped, just left the passport in the downtown city. And then I was like two weeks out. I'm like, man, I don't know my passport and my visa. That'll show up in time. They got to know that I'm traveling. And then, yeah, the police just called me like, hey, we found a passport. Is it yours? We found it downtown in the rain, right? Like a cabbie had picked it up on the side of a street in, in a storm. Like, what? real, Yeah. <laughs> And they call me and they give it to me, and then I get out of there, I get on a plane, I take the one-way t- trip, and I'm just, boom, gone, and showed up with no real plans. I was a 19-year-old, no, I had no idea what I was doing, I was just sure I was going to be fine. The intention was there, but the planning wasn't there. So after everything got mixed up, like, I showed up in China at, like, 2 in the morning, just, like, no idea where to go, loose idea, go to the school. So not the not the recommended way to travel. Heck no. But you're better be. But the best because way. of it. So. That's your job. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. We're getting the cue for for time here, <laughs> yeah, so we're yeah. gonna we're gonna wrap up. And yeah. Uh, Th- this s- would work. Send you off. <laughs> uh. So yeah. So I mean, that's those are other those are other episodes for sure. But the bottom line is, use travel to build your story. You know sure. what I mean? To understand mm-hmm. who you are contrast observe the contrast and then just document your your journey and then you'll have a better understanding of how to tell how to tell that story and then you you can find your your brevet culture your outrun culture your your defining moment your uniqueness yeah your uniqueness for lack of a better term yep all right you guys you hungry oh what? Just you. I'm really not that Travis hungry. gets hungry on travel a lot, too. We're ready like five meals <laughs> oh, a day. Thanks for tuning in, guys. <laughs> we appreciate it. Let us know your travel stories. Comment, oh, yeah. share. We would love to hear about your experiences as well. And we will see you next time.